All personnel, please report to the quarantine zone. This is not a test. A new episode of Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee is about to begin. Welcome, friends, to another thrilling episode of Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee. I'm your moderator, Mark Mernan. And hey, the boys are back in town. We're They're... back. The band is back. <laughs> yes. We're excited. Now, if you're listening to this, you don't realize that we've actually been apart for a couple weeks because mm-hmm. you listen to this sequentially. Hopefully, if you're a good yeah, listener. Yeah, you guys got vacations. I'm doing We got vacations. You're here, man. You well, took a vacation one time. You, you went to, the, you went to yeah, like yeah. St. Thomas. St. Thomas. Did, did. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, but I digress. We're here. Yes. I am here once again with Andrew Jacobson pastor of Sand Harbor Presbyterian Church in Jupiter, Florida, and Wes Lover, pastor of Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Gentlemen, how are we doing? <laughs> We're tired. We're t- it is the... Uh- because they don't know when we record these. No, they don't. The but now they, the election, now they will. So now they're, yeah, we're having a, a, a later. The day after the election was supposed to end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the day after. You mean December? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think we're, we're all, all up late. Yeah, we're all up very, very late watching returns, praying yes. for the Lord's imminent return. I, I left my yes. uh, I left my house this morning. My neighbor was outside pounding a monster. And I was like, did you ever go to sleep? And he's like, no. It's <laughs> like 5, 6, like 5.30, 6 in the morning. That's a committed viewer. <laughs> is, I'm telling you, that I, I, I lack that commitment or I just need sleep. Yeah. But uh, regardless, the king sits upon the throne, yes. does he not? Yes. And the throne of man will soon be empty as the, as the soon and coming king mm. will. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Yes. Regardless, we are we have finished up the uh, solas, the five solas of the Reformation, and we are going to break new ground today with drum beat. What are we talking about today? Politics. No, no, no. <laughs> that too. No, no. The Westminster Shorter Catechism. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, and the obviously the adjective shorter implies that there is also a larger. Aha, catechism. okay. I always call it the longer catechism. Yeah, but the I mean, they're both larger catechism. And these are the standards of the Presbyterian Church. Okay. And not just the not or just Reformed the, Church. The well. Reformed Churches, not just the uh, Presbyterian Church in America, the PCA, mm-hmm. but uh, also some of the would, Reformed. Uh, would the shorter catechism fit into the category of a confession because, or like a, a creed because it's a, the standard of our denomination? Yeah, it, it technically does. I mean, the Westminster Confession mm. is kind of the bedrock of the confessional documents, but the catechisms, the, the shorter and the larger built off of that, yeah. are just as much of a binding document in terms of our, our doctrinal statements in, in our denomination as, as the confession is. And one of the things I, I think the, ref, the Reformed tradition has been accused of is elevating the creeds and confessions, the catechisms, to the level of Scripture, but that is not accurate. Is that correct? That's not the okay. case. No. Yeah, no. No, we, we believe, and this is actually a good question. We talked about this a little bit in a much earlier episode, but it's mm-hmm. good to, to reiterate it here, that we, we, we believe that the Scripture alone is the authoritative Word of God. It's the Supreme Court of what we should believe, how we should behave as Christians. But we also believe that the Scriptures demand to be interpreted. Right. Like we, we have to go to the scriptures and we have to read what it says. We have to interpret what it says and apply what it says. And one of the one of the ways that that is done is through doctrinal statements like the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is seeks to be a, a document that faithfully reflects the teaching of scripture. Okay. So it is a tool mm-hmm. and that does not supplant scripture, but supports 
the yeah. learning of Scripture, the the understanding, and the mm-hmm. and the um, some of the more thorny issues that people aren't necessarily yeah. able to articulate. If you ask your average parishioner, West, to uh, define justification, mm-hmm. would they be able to do so? Uh, you mean based off of the shorter catechism? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Without the short, without having learned the shorter catechism, they might be struck yep. with some more abstract ideas, but this yeah. actually gives concrete. Yeah, and it's the shorter catechism is it's short, and I in in one sense, the the question and answer format makes it um, really intended for the purpose of memorization. Right. And so, like one thing that was really encouraged in the, our denomination is to teach it to to children. We're going to get into that a little bit later, but um, and the reason because it, it's short and it's it's something that they can memorize yep. and have have answers to questions the like the ones that are being raised in the academy. Yeah. yeah, and I think this is the beauty of it, particularly as a learning tool. Uh, talk real briefly. Let's define what a catechism is. Yeah. So I mean, a catechism is it's almost like a theological dictionary. Okay. That collates common questions, common technical theological terms, and gives unified definitions of them. Right. So you, you can think of it like like a dictionary or a lexicon or, or something like you know, Webster's Dictionary. So mm-hmm. if we want to know what a word means that we use, well, we go to this commonly held view of of what is authoritative definition. Sure. Look it up there so that we can uh, we can know what we're talking about. So when we use theological language like justification or sin or sanctification or I mean just just any of those t-i-o-n words Mm -hmm. this catechism tool gives us a a common dictionary uh definition so that we can be speaking the same language and and not only does it give us the same language and definitions it's also the 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 catechism itself is structured isn't it Mm -hmm. It, it goes through the various topics uh, as related, particularly the script, the doctrine of scripture, mm-hmm. uh, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of man, what is sin. So it helps us define terms mm-hmm. and articulate uh, what these what these terms mean and their impact. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it basically takes because the Westminster Shorter Catechism is 107 questions, which mm. doesn't feel very short. No, it doesn't seem short, but re- especially as I'm in the process the 16, of memorizing it. So yeah, in the yeah. 1640s, you know, they. You know, brevity was not their strongest gift back then, but it's shorter relative compared to, I mean, like Calvin had yes. one. When he was in Geneva, Switzerland, he put together a catechism and it was like 350 mm-hmm. questions. So they really cut it down. They did. From there. Um, but you, you, you know, you take this, this catechism tool and you, you know, give it to the churches, the congregations that make up a denomination and you, you have this, this wonderful unifying document. That gives people a common way of thinking about and speaking about, like, and in any in any industry, in any branch, you have what's called insider language. Right. So I think if you go into computer programming, things like that, graphic design, whatever, there is certain language that unless you're on the inside, you don't quite get what they're what they're talking about. Mm. But inside, to, as you train and study and practice for those things, you learn the catechisms. Of those trades and different things, mm-hmm. so that's, it, that's it's the, the industry language. Yeah, it would be yeah, the yeah. industry language for our spiritual industry or our industriousness. Yeah, one one of the guys that I was listening to, um, and he was just talking about like the usefulness of a catechism, specifically related to uh, raising up children, is that it, it grounds them for for them being a part of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 
so often people and i think like one of the um issues that i've seen with youth ministry in general is this is really babying kids and especially like high school students yeah, not not challenging them yeah not increasing not forcing them to think and stretch yeah you know coddling and the um, one of my old pastors he'd always make this quarterly say you know these kids are like learning calculus at school and then <laughs> and then you know we can't even teach them fundamental doctrines in the church it sure. doesn't make any sense right it's it's a, a discredit to them, a disservice to them. And then it, another thing that it shows is that we don't really expect them to actually be members of the church. Um, and with you know, within our denomination, you know, um, our children are either, whether communing or not communing, um, they're members of the church. They're covenant right. children being raised up in the church. Under another the church another aspect of Presbyterianism mm-hmm. is that the covenant theology yep. is incorporating the, the children into uh, the, uh, the the worship in the church service mm-hmm. and also the all the accessories such as learning the catechism. Yep, yep. And so you know the shorter catechism is not it doesn't baby you in oh, one no. sense. It's short, but it, it's not it's not simple. It's substantive. Exactly. Short but substantive. That's and, a good way to and, put it. And it really grounds you in the fundamentals and doctrinally so that you can then be a part of the church, a productive member of the church. And so I think that's one of the things that's one of the reasons it's so important um, is that it helps our children become a part of the church. Yeah, this is this is an introduction, which is what we're doing first Mm -hmm. before we dive into the first question. So a little bit of a background then. What relevance does a 400 year old document have to the 21st century uh, illuminated, enlightened, (laughs) uh, postmodern? Uh, church member or church member's child. Come on, man, this is so yeah. old. And look at the language; yeah. it's like the King James all over again. They don't even know who King James is, do they? Well, I think that's actually a good a good point you bring up because in in our modern day, one of the uh, toxic uh, things in the air that we breathe is this progressivism, which says, you know, if if it's not new, then it must not be very good. Right. It's not better. Like new, improved, better. That's that's where we want to go. Well, in reality, I mean, the Christian faith is one that is rooted in the past, in history, right. specifically like in, in the historical acts of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. But then with that, I was also truth. Truth is when God revealed it to his people and then inscripturated it in his word, that, that's, that's where we want to go. That's, we want to drink from those yeah. reservoirs. And then that truth was taken and hashed out over time, over ages. So even before the Westminster Confession came along, there was 1,600 years worth of contending for certain doctrines and hashing out certain uh, answers to questions. Who is Jesus Christ? Right. What does it mean that he's... What is his nature? What is his nature? What's what the is Trinity? God? Yeah, what is the Trinity? All these yeah. things. So the benefit of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is you get the ripe fruit of... Decades, centuries of theological Millennia. reflections. Yeah. And specifically with the Reformation. Right. Started with Luther really around 1517 and the Westminster Confession being written in the 1640s. You get almost, you know, 150 years almost removed from the Reformation where there's really this rediscovery, this renaissance mm-hmm. of returning to the scripture as the source of truth and hashing out answers to these pivotal questions. 
back, we're digressing just a little bit further. We call it the Westminster Catechism, the Westminster Confession. Mm -hmm. What is Westminster and why is it important? Um, correct me if I was wrong, I feel there was a period of seven years. Um, is that correct? Seven years? About seven the years. Westminster yeah. Assembly. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's a group of men, there were uh, theologians from Scotland, from Ireland, from England. Um, and, and piggybacking off of uh, some of the confessions that were already in existence at the time, um, they gathered together to come up with what, what they believed to be the system of doctrine containing the truths of Scripture. And so picking a, piggybacking, like I said, on the back of confessions that were already in existence at the time, this really began in the earlier on in the 16th century. And it was a, a pushback against the Roman Catholic Church with the Reformation built upon the foundation that we can only see Scripture as our sole and final authority. And so that's why, going back to what we were talking about earlier, when people take issue with the idea of creeds and confessions, what they need to understand is that this is exactly what our creeds and confessions are all about. It's all about the authority of Scripture alone, the rediscovery of the importance of Scripture, right. and the system of doctrine contained therein, and that's the mm -hmm. key. We, we, we talked about this several weeks ago with the Sola Scriptura, yeah. no, and, the, and those who hold to no creed but the Bible, mm -hmm. no king but Christ, no creed but the Bible, and yet creeds, confessions, catechisms are... Uh, mechanisms by which we might know God better and uh, more carefully uh, built upon, as you said, 1,600 years of, uh, of, men think of holy men, theologians, thinking through some of the implications of these things. Mm -hmm. So what is the average... Let me ask you this now. Mm -hmm. Guy's going to work. He's, he's a member of the church. He is uh, committed to uh, the body of Christ. But what what value does does I mean is this is this kind of educational process of any value to your average church member, and if so, how? Yeah, I, I think absolutely, and the reason I think that uh, is because it one it teaches you how to interpret biblical language in a way that actually gives you understanding. There there's so many terms in the scriptures that we come to or terms that we interact with regularly sure. uh, just in the Christian world that people are very mystified, confused about, have a murky kind of understanding. And when we have a mystified, murky understanding of what the Bible is talking about, I mean, it's really hard to be invigorated by it, to be uh, transformed and renewed and, and to implement those things and to live by those truths. And so having a clear understanding of the theological important realities of scripture is something that we should all want to have. I mean, imagine having, you know, a relationship with, with your spouse in which you just have general vague notions of them. I mean, you're not gonna have a very vibrant relationship. Mm. Or imagine you're dealing with realities like a lack of assurance, uh, a weighty guilt mm. and a burden right. of shame because you don't know understand what justification is. Yeah. And when, and when it, you learn the catechism reality of justification is God accepting us as righteous in Christ only Forgiving for... Forgiving all our sins, yeah. Yeah, only for the righteous imputed to us by Christ. I mean, you, you start to get a clarity that renews your mind, that uh, ignites your heart, that impacts your will, all these different things. It's like that aha moment, I get yes. it. 
Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking of, an, of, of a potential uh, objection, which I, I've heard myself. Well, I, I, I read the Bible for myself. I'm able to mm-hmm. do it. Okay. Well, Paul uses the language mm-hmm. of justification. Yeah. So it what means does something. Paul mean? What does it mean? What does yeah. it mean? How does it mean? Mm-hmm. Well, it means I'm justified. Oh, but that's, you're yeah. using the definition as a definition. Yeah. What does it mean to you? I mean, mm-hmm. what does that, what part of that, what does it mean to be glorified? What does it mean that, that we are sanctified and be, we are sanctified perfected forever and our sanctification is ongoing yeah what do these terms mean yeah when we talk about our children learning the language of the church it's not the language of this sort of tradition it's the language of scripture yeah that's ultimately what we're referring to uh so you just use two words or use one of two words that are so similar but you know a lot of people go to church and they don't even know what they mean justification and sanctification two words that are essential to, to our christian life yeah, exactly uh but they're not words that you hear in your day-to-day life really outside of the church sure to those of us that have been in the church it's we hear that we automatically know what they mean um, we use them all the time yeah but what if but you're it's not church language? It's, yeah, church, it's, it's church like language. the it's yeah. like the computer program we're using, throwing out well, cobalt this and you yeah. know whatever the other it, one. Biblical language. It's yeah. biblical language. We want to be versed in scripture, yeah. rooted in scripture, trained yeah. in scripture, and because we're accountable to scripture. Yeah. yeah. So, so it was it it provides the clarity we need to to live with truth that we properly understand that transforms us. So it provides clarity. But I think another thing it does is it actually protects us from error. So part of the 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 way in which the catechisms were hashed out was in this context of mm. just intense theological debates where a question was answered, how does a guilty, unholy sinner become just in the sight of a holy God? And there was different answers to it. Yes. Many different answers. And so the reformers hashed this out and the Westminster Confession is the ripe fruit of that theological uh, controversy and discussion. And you 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 gain this this clarity of an answer of, what do the Bible means when it speaks about salvation, yeah. justification? And I, I think of it like this. A catechism or confession is like the bumpers on a bowling lane. So we, we want to live the Christian life. We want to live it faithfully. We want to be protected from error. We want to live in the truth, not departing from the right or to the left. We need to follow the scriptures. But the scriptures have many people come to it and interpret it differently, mm. many erroneously. And a confession is the faithful work of faithful men who have put up the bumpers on the bowling lane saying, hey, this don't go off don't into go this off path. The, this is air. Right. So it keeps us from going in the theological gutter, as it were. Yep. And I want to, sorry, Mark, I don't want to interrupt you. I want to go back to your, just your question um, in terms of like, how is this practical for us today? Like, what is the use of the catechisms in our, in our lives as, as even as adults? And I, I, I was thinking of, so in, in first Peter, uh, Chapter 3, Peter says uh, that we are to be prepared to give a reason for the hope uh, that is within us. It's so simple. I mean, he's he's not saying you have to have an answer to... He does use the word for defense. Mm -hmm. He's not saying that you have to have an answer to every apologetics question. He's not saying you have to know every every doctrine in the the church. Um, But even things like being able to explain your faith. Uh, One of the things that I listened to this week was that the catechism is great for passing our faith down our children right. because we're constantly explaining the faith to them. It's all of the, the, the what the faith is. And so even something as simple as be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within you, right? And so we live life in this broken, fallen 
world and we come to question one and you says something as simple as this i'm not living for myself i'm not living for self-exaltation i'm living for god's glory and in that i have joy and so uh and that that's where my hope is and so anything that happens to me anything that happens to my to my loved ones i know that i'm going to be okay because what i am living for is the glory of god and to enjoy him and you know this if you've been reading it in the the shorter catechism we have that's an answer for the hope that we have within and so in many ways and it's not just that question it's just because it's right what's right in front of me Mm -hmm. but in many ways that that's what the shorter catechism does it gives us answers to questions Mm -hmm. allows us to give a defense answers our own questions equips us to answer the questions of others Mm -hmm. last question before we get to the meat of it number one what would you say to the objection that this is just another exercise in intellectualism? It's what, you know, it's the, the problem with Reformation theology is it's so cerebral. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have any practical impact. I think you've addressed the, the, the yeah. practical implications of that. But what about this idea? Well, it's just cerebral. Just... Yeah, it, it certainly can be. There's no doubt. We, we want to acknowledge that, that potential pitfall so that we can be, you know, better able to guard against it. But at the same time, God has laid out a, a clear uh, spiritual anatomy for the human soul, like how we, we grow in the faith, how we uh, stand strong. And it, it comes by truth, which informs the mind, mm-hmm. inflames the heart, and then it works its way out in, in the hands. The head, the heart, and the hands are all interconnected. You cannot bypass the head in order to get to the heart. To get mm-hmm. to the heart, you must go through the head. Yeah. We need to be renewed in our minds, by that transforming word that God gives. And that comes through truth. You know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Think of it like starting a fire. So I was recently in Virginia in the fall, beautiful there, and we're we're having a campfire. In order to have a campfire, you have to have kindling. You Mm -hmm. have to have wood. You can't just light a match and expect the fire to just <laughs> grow there on its you own. Can't. And so truth really is is the kindling of the soul. It's it's placing the logs on the fire so that the spirit will come and ignite the heart with affections for God, with affections mm-hmm. for living for his glory that moves the will in in action. And you need those you need those components there. This transformation of Romans 12:2 for the purpose of the renewal of your mind that we might think accurately, mm-hmm. biblically correctly on the things of God to know them that we might be able to discern his will. And then from that in in Romans 12, he goes on in the rest of chapter 12 to explain how the transformed mind acts and functions. What it looks like. Yes. He's built his whole theological dissertation up to Mm -hmm. chapter through chapter 11 Mm -hmm. on what's been accomplished, Mm -hmm. the indicatives. And now he's He's begun the imperatives. How now should you live? I think is the question by Francis. Uh, right, Francis. Yeah. How now should we live in consequence yeah. of all these things? And think about it in relation to children. So much of the application of the catechism we're talking about reflects to children because it's the idea. This was written, it really intended for a younger audience to be to pass the faith on to a younger generation. Now it's good for everyone. Absolutely. I mean, if it's good for as the, I am finding out, it's, goose, it's good for the gander. Well, if you don't think it's good for everyone, just go ask the people in your church all these questions. Yeah. And so I can do. guarantee you that yeah. there will be a lot of lot left unanswered. <laughs> but for for many um, people who especially grow up in the church, who don't have things explained to them mm-hmm. of why they do what they do, yeah. they often reject it, or their faith really becomes stunted, or they yeah. have this kind of crisis moment, like. I mean, I grew up in an evangelical, Bible-believing household. 
but I never had much of the why we do what we do is explained to me. Why do we believe this? Why do we do this? And it kind of led to a crisis where now, I mean, the number one question I always ask of everything is why. I, I have to know the why. And you're like my two year You're like a yeah, two year old. Exactly. Why? I've never got. Or they ask that at three. I can't remember. Is that some ways I've never grown up, but, <laughs> um, but you have this. There's in, in the human human the way we're made in God's image is we are meaning makers. We are designed to to understand. We want to know why things are the way that they are, and the Catechism helps give solid answers to real questions that we're asking. And that's one of the biblical basis of the catechism. In fact, in Exodus 12, when Moses is talking to them about the Passover ceremony that they're going to implement and do every year, he specifically helps them anticipate that children are going to ask, why do we do this? Mm -hmm. So in Exodus 12, 26, he says, and when your children say to you, what do you mean by this activity? What do you mean by this service? He, He feeds them with the catechism. You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. He's, he's, he's commanding them to train the children. The same thing in Deuteronomy yeah. 6, mm-hmm. verse 7, following the Shema. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them. Mm-hmm. When you, walk, when you walk, walk by the way and when you lie down, you shall bind them as a sign. Why? To keep it always in front yes. of you. And then Deuteronomy 6, 20, he helps them anticipate that their children are going to ask questions. When your son asked you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you. Then you shall say to them, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of, the, out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Yeah. So it's this idea of we are going to ask the why questions and we need to have answers to give to them so that we can help them live with understanding. If you do not have understanding, you cannot participate meaningfully. Absolutely. You're, you're, you're operating in a fog or in the yeah, dark. You just have, you, yeah, just kind of a naked bare participation doesn't, Feed, encourage, yeah. build up anyone. Well, we I, I've lost track of the time. Twenty six. We we're at twenty six minutes. All right, we're going to wrap this up here, and we will dive into question number one next time on the next question episode. one and two. We'll try to do question we'll do one. Question and two. one and two to facilitate yeah. this, move this along here, um, and question number just so people know what is the chief end of man? To chief end of man God. is to glorify God and enjoy, enjoy him, him forever. forever. And we will dive that, dive into that on the next episode. So make sure you're plugged in here. In the meantime, we have enjoyed this time with you here. Thanks for joining us on Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee. Again, Mark Murnan with my good buddies, Andrew Jacobson, Wes Lover. And we will see you next time on Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee. This episode of Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee is now over. You may now exit the quarantine zone.